Hey everyone, I'm Kari. Hello everyone, I am Bree. And this is CSI Talk. Hey, welcome back. Another week of the episode of CSI Talk. Hi. So last week was the season finale of season two of CSI Vegas, which was a great episode, by the way. I'm still traumatized. And the page on CSI fandom of Josh Wilson reads that he was a former CSI because he's now arrested. Well, anyways, so as we said last week, to today we're going to start a new in-depth series of old episodes from the CSI crime scene investigation. And today we are going to be taking a new look into personal favorite episode for me, Elise, and the cat, one of the cat's favorite episodes too. It's called Blood Drops, episode seven from season one. And it's, I literally just watched that episode and I was telling Brie how much I missed the early seasons, actually. Although the cast was still getting their footing on the characters itself, I mean, it was good. It was really good. So, the official synopsis of the episode is when four members of a family are brutally murdered in a suburban house, except the two daughters who are the sole survivors, the night shift is called at first. Grissom and his, ta- and his entire team suspect a bizarre cult to murder. But the evidence tells an even more disturbing story when they discover the motive behind. I think this episode was a very defining episode for the show, and it probably set the this show CSI Crimson Investigation apart from the other crime shows, at least for me. We have four victims of the Collis family, and everyone is on the case. At the first shot, we see this very close-up shot of of those weird rabbits. We don't understand that at first, but Tina Collins, she's running out of the house, is screaming to her neighbors, asking for help. When Grissom arrives at the scene, that he's told by O'Reilly, do you all remember him? Yeah, he was there. He said there are four people dead. The father, two teenage boys, and the mother. Since and her younger sister, Brenda, who is played by the Clutterfanity, are the only survivors. And according to statements, Tina had heard a noise and hid in the closet. So Grissom is 
making his way around the house and he's telling a deputy to make the notes for him. I don't know why, because he could have just, you know, have a order with him. But whatever. So this is crazy. Yeah, and so he has a deputy to go with him, and the deputy wants to turn on the lights, but Grissom's like, no, I want to see the crime scene, just like the driver should have left, which is very common. Investigators will do this, even if the crime is committed at night, and that's why they will use flashlight. We've seen CSI enough to know that. And while they are going up the stairs, I mean, there is a lot of blood, the name of the episode is Blood Jobs. Um, Grissom notes that the air smells like copper. So the air smells like copper because the blood has a lot of metal. Our blood has a lot of metal, especially iron. So that is why the air is like copper. And the body on the upstairs hallway and he sees that there are no drag marks. So the body does not appear to be moved, which means that whoever kills the father kills him right there. And also the father had multiple stab wounds to the back and the neck, and the weapon seems to be a single edge blade. Three concentric sockets are in the walls. If you know, you know. But Sarah shows up at the moment because the deputy is about to pew. And Sarah listens. This is at the stage where Sarah's always listening to all police radio. Yeah, Sarah is a workaholic at this point. Not that she ever stops being an alcoholic. And she starts taking the nose for Grissom. And she asks Grissom, you're thinking Manson. I'm going to go into details on who were the Manson family is not into details, but I'm going to give you guys a brief explanation to what happened to the Manson family. But I can say for, I think it's fair to say that the Manson family were short of an inspiration for this case. On the uh, on the show, since there are concentric circles on the wall, and also they're gonna find it on the boys' bedroom, uh, Sarah suggested that it could be a cold. And Grissom's like, "I'm not ruling that out, but somebody did leave a message." Sarah and Grissom they go to the master bedroom and they find the body of the mother, and Grissom realizes that the mother. Doesn't have any detensive wounds, which means that she was killed in her sleep. The sound on this episode is really astonishing. It even held itself to this day. It was produced like in 2000. In 2000. Yeah, so like the sound is great. It gave me chills when I was watching or rewatching earlier today because you can actually hear. The jobs, Polly. Sarah says that the mother's soul is was still in the room. Which is odd for them to say that. Which is odd for her to say that. Griffin did believe he was raised to be Catholic by his mom. So 
I guess we can say for sure that he did believe in God. So it's fair to say that if he believed in God, he believed in that in the existence of hell too. I mean, if you believe in one, you necessarily have to believe in the existence of the other. Oh, and I guess at this point, Sarah was too early in her career. I don't think she was too emotionally attached to the case yet, but I guess she was still seeing the human side of the victim because as Grissom would say repeatedly over the course of the years, they are supposed to be the boys of the victims. They are doing the walkthrough and that is a brutal scene as was said in the beginning. This is a very defining episode that that will set the tone for the rest of the series. Sarah said that and which it could be something out of character for her, but I guess they were still trying to find the footing of the characters. Grissom makes his way to the boys' room and he passes by Brenda's room, which is kind of corny. He passes by Brenda's room because the father is lying just outside Brenda's room. Uh, he goes to the brother's room and one of the brothers was killed in the bed, so probably and, and there's lived too. And the other one was lying on the floor. And that are the other concentric circles on the mirror this time. Ingersoms realizes that whoever came in to kill the family they didn't come in through the window. He doesn't know how they come in yet, but they didn't break any windows from the upstairs level. So outside, Grissom tells O'Reilly to get the paramedics back to the scene. And O'Reilly says, do you want a ball fag? Grissom calls all of his team to rig the case. Sarah has to take pictures of everything. Sarah has to take pictures of everything on the scene until everyone arrives. And for some talks to Tina, but Tina is a lot more concerned about Brenda. Grissom thought they were sisters. Coming, because you know. I mean, that is common if you have a younger sibling and you are the older sibling. You are going to prioritize your younger siblings' well-being over your own, right? So, I mean, it was understanding. I mean, it is understandable for Tina to be a lot more worried about Brenda than herself, right? Rissom goes and questions Brenda about someone trying to break into the house, but Brenda is completely unresponsive. She is not telling him anything until she tells him the books alone. Yep. And this young girl is played by a well-known actress these days. Well, not so she's still super well-known. But the actress is named Dakota Fanny. Yeah. I, I absolutely love that. She played one of the characters from the Twilight Saga, and she did it flawlessly. Oh, so it's actually been in a whole lot of things besides Twilight. Yeah. So Catherine and Nick at work, they arrive on the scene and Grissom tells them to not talk to anyone, including the sheriff. So, I mean, he's not as per usual. Grissom doesn't really care about the sheriff. He tells them that the killer was in the house less than two hours ago. So they have to find any evidence that the killer left to be hurried. 
So Catherine has to map the scene and collect the blood samples. And as a reminder, the Catherine is a, the blood specialist at this time. Nick and Warwick, they have to deal with the perimeter. And Grissom needs to know how the killer got into the house and how the killer got out. And Grissom and O'Reilly, they go to the kitchen, which is the only part of the house that has no blood in it. And the kitchen drawer, it is open and there is one knife missing, which means that the killer took the knife from the house. And also, he knew where to find it, which tells them that the killer was in the house before, so it was somebody that the family knew. The paramedics, they walked through the kitchen because one of their boats matched the impression that Grissom took of the floor. Grissom didn't want to tell the press anything about the KDS, which is good. I mean, it's just, it, it's good and bad. Good because the possible killer wouldn't know at which stage, stage of the investigation they were in, so he won't give much away. Bad because now the population is panicky in the last type of murder that like this hadn't happened. It was probably the Manson murder. So then that's why they were so worried. And this is happening in Las Vegas. The Manson case happened in Los Angeles. So Grissom tells Sarah that she has to accompany Brenda to the hospital. And she tells Sarah that he needs one of them with Brenda. And Sarah throws a fit. Well, not a fit, but she does not say, why is this to be the one with Brenda when she doesn't have any kids? I mean, to be fair, Catherine would have probably been better with Brenda, but Catherine is the specialist in her blood, right? So yeah. it is understandable why. I mean, Brenda would not have been at ease with either Warwick or Nick or even Grissom himself. So it was a lot more likable that Brenda would have been more at ease with Sarah. The sheriff shows up and he is demanding that Grissom would tell him anything so he can tell the mirror. And Grissom's like, I'm not doing that as per usual. And the sheriff tells the reporters that everything is in the control and no one needs to worry about anything. So on the next morning, Nick actually finds a bit of a cigarette and a match on the backyard. And Warwick, he finds a fresh set of tire bags in the mud. Because the sprinkler system went off. He tells Nick that the sprinkler system went off at 2 a.m. And the paramedics arrived at 2.40, which means that the killer left the house and that point of the time frame in a dirty bike. So Nick realizes that it was the same person that smoked behind the house and threw it in the plants. So inside the house, uh, Catherine, she's collecting every blood sample that she can get her hands on. Grissom and Catherine, they're trying to work out in which order the family was killed. And they realized this doesn't really match a cult. 
this doesn't really match how a cult would do your killings. So they realized that the concentric circles is to most likely it's all the investigation lot because I've seen this episode a couple of times and I did do some research now on some things I could add to the meaning right now. I feel like the concentric circles could represent teen relationship towards a family because of what she went to. And I think she told boy or her whole cup, whatever that boy was told to her, what had happened. Well, so those circles was to throw off the investigation because friends studied the photos from the Merson case as she told Grissom. So Catherine tells Grissom that she studied the Merson pictures, the Merson printing pictures. So it could not have been Coles that did all of those curates. And, and Catherine also realizes she forgets the time. So pick up Lindsay. Yeah. It's and so she goes back home, but she finds out that Eddie picked Lindsay up. Eddie is just such a he's not a good guy. He's not a good guy. He could have been a good parent, but he was not a good guy to Catherine. And he was really jealous of her work. Well, the first husband that they have is Tina. Because they have an assumption. They think that the father got up to try and protect his kids. But the killer killed him first. That's why he was in the hallway. But there is a lack of blood between the master bedroom and the spot where the father was killed. So they think that Tina is guilty. Also, because Grissom says that he doesn't find any blood on her pajamas, and she does give a statement saying that she helped her mother and her mother was covered in blood, so there should have been blood on her pajamas. Well, so during the investigation, Tina says that she heard footsteps in the kitchen and then she hid in the closet. She said that even though she lived in the house of six people, she does know everyone's footsteps. And this were unfamiliar. Person does realize that something is up when he cannot put his finger on it. Brass is straight up not buying it. And when she's asked about the relationships, she says that she hopes that with a lot of guys, but none of them were special. Oh, Rissam asks if one of them were named Buffalo. When she says no, she doesn't look at neither Brass nor Rissam. Nicholas says Sarah is still not really liking the fact that she had to be the one to be a Brenda but after the cycle evolved that Brenda had to go through she'll still need a head exam and Sarah says oh if there is any forensic 
approved that is going to be collected. I need to be here. And they tell her that uh, she has to come back to the lab because now Brenda is safe. Brenda literally just walks up to Sarah and decides to be beside her. So now Sarah cannot leave. Brenda feels safe around Sarah. Yep. So Warwick, he discovers that the tire tracks that he found belonged to a 1993 Honda scooter and that a kid that lives four blocks away, he owned the same mig and motor. Warwick and Brass, they question the owner of the scooter and it's a local teen that is named Oliver. And he says that he does own the scooter, but he shares it with three other friends. So Warwick is like, okay, give me the names. And Warwick is like, oh, I was out of town. And then when the murders happen, but he does says that he knows Tina. Because, uh, well, he does know Tina because they hooked up. Yeah, I'm not going to say what the, what he says. Yeah. And the episode, because that, that is very unfriendly and that is very unsexist. So, at the break room, they go all with their findings and Nick says that even though they found the, the baby, nobody is moved according to team. And Sarah says that Brenda was in the catatonic state. Uh, catatonic state is when someone is when someone reacts very little or not at all around the surroundings. So that's what was happening to Brenda. Brenda was reacting very little to her surroundings. And we would find out later why she was doing that. Why she was reacting very little to her surroundings. It was not because her family was killed. It was because of something else. The only thing that Brenda reacts to is Buffalo. And she's freaking out. Tina is brought into floor questioning again. And Catherine and Grissom both tell her that it doesn't make any sense, her statement, because she says that she hugged mother that was lying in a pool of blood, but there was no blood on her clothes. And then she also tripped on her father's body, but and there's no blood on her pajamas. And she was like, yeah, I, I don't know what happened, but I'm, I'm in trauma. Let me see if my sister. Even though Grissom and Catherine might understand her persistence to see her sister, they think something's off, right? They think something is off. You know, Grissom also thinks something is off since the beginning. And meanwhile, so Nathan Brass, they question the other owners of the scooters, Jesse Overtone. He had trial lawyer. And when he is sitting, he actually is the one that removes the packs of, of BD cigarettes. And he tries to smoke. And they get, like, no smoking around. And Nick asks for the 
for the pack of smokes and the lighters. So this guy gave Nick all the evidence Nick needed. This goes to Catherine and Grissom, who are in, still interrogating Tina, and tells them about Jesse. And Tina does react to it, and Grissom and Catherine notice that. Nick actually is the one that, that lines up the match that he found on the backyard to the matchbook that he was given. And he tells Rick, oh, yes, we just broke the case. Eggly? I know Eggly gets nicer in the future seasons, but I had forgotten that he was not a very good person at the beginning. And so, Raz shows all the bloody clothes that Eggly found. So Jesse pleads guilty, and he takes a lie detector test, and he confesses to killing all the family on Tina's requests. And every answer he gave is the truth, except the last one, because he said that he killed everyone so he and Tina could be together, which is a lie. He didn't do it so they could be together. They have one killer, but they can't need the why. Grissom is all looking for the wife. I understand that like Grissom was not talking to the sheriff because this was a hot case. You know, everyone was probably trying to get Tina and Brenda's attention. I understand that. But with holding information that could potentially break the case, this is not where you go looking for the truth. Grissom, he finds a buffalo medallion covering blood. So Grissom called Sarah and then he asks her if Brenda has any signs of sexual abuse. And Sarah says, well, they didn't do a, a test for, for sexual abuse, but I'm going to get ultra-valiant sodas. So Sarah takes the, the pictures. And all the pictures reveal several bruises on Brenda's upper arms and shoulders. And at the same time, Catherine is figuring out that the fall was not going to protect Brenda. She is coming out of the room. Yeah. She actually noticed that because of blood drops on the hallway that was coming from the room, non moving towards the room. That's how she realizes that the father was leaving the room when he was killed. So evidence shows that the father was killed first, and then the mother, and then the brothers. When Catherine is giving this paper that she's going to be investigated because... Was just not being a good guy, he talked to CPS and said, Catherine is neglectful. Okay, so Grissom is questioning Tina again and shows her that ultraviolet photograph of Brenda's and tells her that forensic evidence approves that the father was sexually abusing Brenda and that he was in the room at the night of the murders. So Grissom tells her something horrible happened in that house and you're not talking about the night of the murders. <laughs> so... And I actually tells Grissom that 
what happened is that she has been sexually abused by her father since she was a little kid. And Brenda was not her sister. It was her daughter from her father. That's why she didn't like her family because her family did not protect her when she needed protection. That's why this is such a heavy episode. In the end of the day, both Brenda and and Tina, I mean, oh, no, Tina. She's also a killer here, but she's also a victim here. She's a killer, but she's a victim as well. She was a killer because she wanted to protect her daughter from even more. Yeah. Abuse. But she's been a victim for, I don't know, she was 16 or eight. She was 16. She was 16, 15, 17. So she, she was a victim for a lot of years. And then her daughter was now being a victim. So I think there's no wrath on this is the, the wrath of a monitor. So, well, as we said before, this episode is heavily inspired by the Charles Mensum case, the Mensum family, which happened in Los Angeles. There's a lot of things out there about Charles Mensum and about cults, right? So I'm just going to give you guys a very brief explanation about cults. So I'm literally going to tell myself because this is on a thread that I did on Twitter. So according to NHDR.org, a cult can be defined as a group of individuals with some common religious or metaphysical philosophical ideologies. A brief explanation about cults and one of the characteristics is that cults are instructed like pyramids. At the top, you have the leaders. Dinehard believers beneath the leaders. At the bottom, you have the bigger part of the uh, the following, which is literally the followers, right? So this is what happened to Charles Manson. I mean, there is a lot of explanation about who Charles Manson was. There is a movie about him. If there is, don't watch it. They really tend to romanticize who those people were. And what happened is that this guy, Charles Mason, he had a rough upbringing. He basically grew up in prison because he would commit crimes and put back to prison. So his upbringing was mostly inside prison. He was sexually abused by the male prisoners inside prison, inside the is that he was in and once he got out for real he started to have a folly and this was happening during the 60s and you'll have to know that this was happening during the 60s during the hippie era so I mean we all I mean my generation praise generation we know these movements I mean Oh, I've studied heavily hippies. Yeah, we, we've studied the hippies, you know. Well, then the CSI character, the DB, his parents were hippies. So, yeah, that's how Charles Manson 
gain his followings. He used to be a pimp. He used to pimp his female followers to get male followers. And, and he's crying to start it because of a drug deal gone wrong. And he listened to the Beatles heavily. And he thought that the Beatles was, was telling him the white album. But it was, was telling him that there was a race war about to happen. So to cover up all of the drug deal gone wrong, he decided to send his followers to kill more people and write messages in the victim's blood on the wall. There is no physical evidence that ties Charles Manson to the murders. But he was convicted because of a theory called the Helter Skelter theory, which is from the song called Helter Skelter, but it is from the prosecution at the time that says that he heavily believes that the Beatles was telling him that a race war was going to happen and he needed to start this war. And then society will fall. Then once society fell, he would come out and become the leader of the society. Which now looking back doesn't really make any sense at all, but it made a lot of sense at the time. I'm sure it didn't ruin a lot of people's taste in music, especially for the White Album. And I did simplify a lot because there is a lot of details. Charles Mansell is also a musician. I don't know if his songs are on streaming platforms. I don't think they are. And up until a few years ago, they were. I'm not sure if they are. But he did pass away, though. Yeah. He, he passed away in 2017, I guess, or in 2018, I'm not sure. This was a very heavy thing because this was this cold. Thing. It was a very new thing at the time, and it wasn't defined as a cult until scientists and psychologists, psychiatrists started to study this phenomenon. There are still cults out there. If there are there are people that belong to cults, and if you belong to one, just do what's best for you. Since it was not a new type of crime, but since it was a crime related to a kind of organization police had to study. And then they took pictures and a lot of pictures of the case. And then the neo CSIs and they were coming in, the forensic students that were coming in, they actually still study the pictures of the crime scene pictures of that case of the Manson case to know what to do if they ever go into a scene and they see some symbols written in blood to know if it is a cult or not, to not raise any alarm bells if it is or not. That's why Catherine says I studied the Manson pictures. I mean, it makes sense because I think every crime scene investigator has to study that. And Catherine did have to probably study it harder because she's a board specialist. Yes. And, and of course, so I have, I do have an emotional connection with this episode. 
my first time watching this episode was Queen Lakita's birthday in 2009. Honestly, I remember that's because it was the day the closest person to me and my family went to the hospital. And I, and I went, as my mom and my sister will take it and this was when we were still going to church. I put on some, I put this episode on in my bedroom. And at one point, I went to go up to the newspaper tricks with the birthdays because I was weird like that. I like to look celebrity birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who never checks the celebrities' birthdays? And happy to be on Peterson's. But, yeah. And, and I was, well, she died, and she also died that following week. Wow, so. And it was a sad. Yeah, so this, I'm sorry. So this was a very heavy episode. That is one. Oh, one thing that I forgot to mention, the Buffalo, it's a nod to Buffalo Bill, which is the antagonist in Silence of the Lambs. I think it is. I'm not sure, though. I'm not sure, though, but I think it is. So next week, next week, we're going to be breaking it down and taking a closer look to Anonymous. It's the, actually, it's the following episode to this one. It's it's episode eight of season one. So stay tuned for next week. We love you guys so, so much. Seriously, guys, we love you guys so much. Love y'all. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.